0: Welcome to the 36th episode of the MetaBelas 2 podcast. I am David. And I am Ben. And we have a special edition today because we both received in the mail (laughs) in a nicely packaged A2 envelope. Beautiful. It's beautiful. It's it's even got my name on it. (laughs) And it's none other than VORP VORP. Volume three. Yes. So, yes. a we're long going to... time in
1: the making, but we, yeah, it's terrifically exciting. <laughs> so, Sorry we're going to no, be, interrupting.
0: no, go ahead. So, we're going to be opening up our packages here live as it was. Yeah. And uh, uh, sharing our initial reactions, and then we'll reconvene later at some point with a little bit more review of the contents after we have yeah. a chance to read and digest.
1: Absolutely. And uh, for for our listeners who don't know what VORP Vorp is, it is an absolutely astounding and amazing um, fanzine produced out of England by Gary Kavanagh and Colin Brockhurst, um, who are two people I've never met, but they appear to be completely awesome. Um, And it is a a beautiful, beautiful magazine Mm -hmm. devoted to uh, Doctor Who in comic book form. Yes. And there have been two volumes, and this is the third volume. Um, And uh, should we we do a simultaneous unzip?
0: Uh, Certainly. Let's go for it.
1: Okay, let's go for it. Okay, let's go. Ah.
0: Ah. (laughs) (laughs) All right, so we Uh. don't know.
1: So. We don't know which so that it comes in three <laughs> separate covers. Yes. We don't know which covers we have ordered for ourselves. Alright. Um oh. at least I, well I know what cover I've ordered, but I don't know what cover <laughs> David's ordered. You, well, you I have my meaning.
0: Yes, I have ordered the Adrian Salmon cover. Nice. With uh Blood of My Ancestors Cybermen, which is really I I felt very very inspired cover, so that's what I went yeah, for. Yeah, that's... Ooh, and, the, that's the oh, kind of, and here's the CD. Excellent. The Mechanical Planet. <laughs> and that's the kind of
1: EC comic style sort of um, uh, cover by the amazing Adrian Salmon um, featuring Croton, the Cybermen with a soul. Ah. Um, I went for the completely old school uh, Martin Garrity cover, ah. um, which uh, reimagines... Uh, an episode from the Alan Moore, I think, written strip about the autumn. which so I think it's called Business Unusual, as far as I remember. Mm-hmm. Uh, there is a third cover, um, which neither of us apparently ordered, um, <laughs> which is which is based on the old Century Twenty One magazine, um, but uh, kind of referencing uh, the Cushing Cushing Doctor, right. um, And that I think comes with a very limited vinyl edition of mm-hmm. the of the of the Dalek Chronicles mechanical planet uh, audio play
0: and that um, quickly quickly sold out
1: yeah because it has an amazing kind of japanese style uh, sleeve to it mm-hmm. um uh, i think the uh, uh, david and i both have the kind of regular version which has the um uh which has the just a, well another very beautiful mm-hmm. um beautiful cover um, of the audio audio, audio adaptation of all, of an old dalek strip um so david what, do you, what are your immediate reactions to well, this beautiful I'm, object I'm
0: looking at the back cover and there's a lovely photo of tom baker at a signing here which i don't know if you have with the garrity cover I do not because the Garrity cover is a wraparound. So on uh, the back
1: of my okay. cover, I've got the I've got the Nesting consciousness, okay. um, freaking out basically with all <laughs> tentacles and <laughs> and eyes and stuff, um, and then some Auton plastic soldiers attacking.
0: Uh-huh. Okay, well, so look- I don't have a, I don't have
1: a picture of um that's a shame a
0: picture of um the, of Tom Baker, but never mind. Yeah, it's a very very nice smiling picture of Tom. Looks, uh, oh, Tom. mid mid seventies here. We got yeah, I mean he's at a target target novel signing. And right. my immediate reaction is this is this is dense it feels heavy it, oh my god how many thick. pages is this uh two, 208
1: 208 pages yeah it's, it's a book this isn't a magazine <laughs> um how much did, did this cost us david are we allowed to say that on air with our with our partners listening oh um
0: <laughs> well <laughs> sure it's in pounds so <laughs> it's in pounds so I mean, who knows what that actually cost with, with, um, with shipping it was 23 pounds 89 pence
1: It's very, I mean, actually, I mean, what's, what's amazing here, looking at my little slip here, the, the cost for this was actually just 10 pounds. Right. Um, and Ab- Ten pounds mm-hmm. is about twelve dollars in 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 your American money. Well, at least um,
0: I don't know. Is it? Yeah, it's about pound twelve, keeps, thirteen. Yeah, pound keeps dropping. So it certainly does. It's
1: only going to go got further to go. But I mean, this is it's full color. Mm-hmm. um One thing I will say is that is that I think Gareth Kavanaugh I think is generally is in charge of, of content. Right. And Colin Brockhurst is the design, and just the design of this. Is absolutely gorgeous. Mm -hmm. Um, We'll probably talk about this when we've had a look through the the, what's what's actually in it. But I have, I have, um, uh, I mean, Colin produces some of the most amazing um, kind of alternative Who uh, design material that you've ever that you've ever come across. He's just a beautiful Mm -hmm. artist, Um, and this is just a the cover. It's one got that kind of you know uh, sort of matte, sheen Mm -hmm. cover at least mine does yep um i'm now regretting i didn't get the adrian salmon version because i'm a big fan of adrian salmon well you can always Um, order
0: a second one (laughs) that's true i
1: could that is true um i'm also regretting i didn't i actually regretting i didn't get all three but there Mm -hmm. you go um
0: well you have a way of still playing vinyl so you could have actually played the we could lp or
1: Eat. Yeah, and then I and then I could have put it just put it straight on eBay and like, you know, <laughs> made my money back. Wow, and we've got like specially commissioned uh, art from Ron Turner here. I'm looking, I'm just having a flick through. Yep. Oh my goodness, this is gorgeous. We've got a full article all about Dalek Mania. I've got like about <laughs> ten pages on Dalek Mania. You're in heaven. <laughs> I, exactly. I've got the Eagle, I've I, got I'm trying oh, not like, to
0: get sucked into the Alan Moore interview here. There's an Alan Moore
1: interview. Oh, whoops, my, um, my CD has just fallen off the front. That's okay. Um, let's just have a look at the back of this CD. David Graham as that excellent, and the Golden Dalek Emperor. Mm-hmm. Um, and we've got Alistair Locks in this as well. Ah, Fiona Moore. So, so gorgeous. Oh, wow. Yeah, fabulous.
0: Yeah. Um, Give that a yeah. listen tonight.
1: Yeah, yeah. This 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 definitely this definitely could be something that that, that could be listened to this mm-hmm. this very evening. Well, um what a good what a good use of of my hard-earned money. <laughs> um I think my children won't mind going without dinner tonight uh, <laughs> to have such a thing of beauty in their house. I can yeah. hear that I can hear them <laughs> screaming hungrily from the kitchen but this is fine. This is fine. <laughs> <laughs>
0: It's all fine. It's excellent. It's excellent.
1: <laughs> We've got an interview with Clayton Hickman. I see what's so good about it, I'm just gonna say that is that the there's an interview with Clayton Hickman, who is of course, you know, one of the I think the longest serving Doctor Who magazine editor. Right. And it's done in the style of Doctor Who magazine when he was the editor. I mean, there's <laughs> such a close um, attention to design detail here, which is just a, beauty, a thing of beauty. A thing what, of beauty is a joy forever.
0: What page is a Hickman interview on? The Hickman
1: interview is... Whoa, wait a second. I've just lost it because I flipped forward. It's
0: 178. All right, well, that's 178.
1: That's, that's <laughs> how many pages does this have? It's extraordinary. Two, oh, over 200 oh, and, pages.
0: And the uh, the writer, Graham Kibble-White, is the illustrator for the Wife in Space books. Oh really? Yeah.
1: Ah, interesting. Yeah which, yeah, which
0: I just ordered the uh volume with the fifth doctor's stories in today. Oh, okay. So that's yeah. out for for those completionists. <laughs> Excellent. We got a
1: John Burns interview. Good lord. This is what? What a what, what a Oh wonderful. wow did
0: you oh there's a little bit of the Beatles in here. Did you see that? Yeah, yeah. I
1: think I think the the thing about the the, the Dalek Mania article is like compare comparing Dalek Mania with Beatles Mania because of course they were roughly um, concurrent. Contemporary. Yeah, 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 concurrent exactly. Let's uh, let's uh, let's see. Oh wow, yeah, this is really good. This is going to be actually We've got some really good looking comic strips here featuring the First Doctor mm-hmm. and um, a lady of some kind, not quite sure, and the Second Doctor and the and the Fifth Doctor, <laughs> um, and a whole bunch of other Doctors, um, and and Matt Smith's in it too. Um, wow, well. <laughs> do we need to say anything else now or can we
0: i think we want a break <laughs> i want moore. to take Here a look at go.
1: yeah yeah. And yeah it's a huge interview with alan moore one of the interesting all things that i find interesting about alan moore is like he's always kind of billed as by being, like, being sort of reclusive and sort of hard to talk to right there is more more there are more interviews with alan moore <laughs> than possibly anyone else ever Um, so yeah, no, he isn't, I don't think he's that hard to talk to. I think he, I think he knows who he doesn't like Mm -hmm. and he knows who he does like and he doesn't talk to people he doesn't like and he does talk to people Mm he does, he he does like. He has opinions, yes. He's very opinionated and why, why, and why shouldn't, why shouldn't he, he's, he's definitely earned it. I'm just about to embark on reading his new novel, Mm, um, which is about a million words. Um, (laughs) so that's, that's going to be a tricky one. Well, very cool. This was fun to unbox. All right. Of warp warps live ish on air and um uh we will reconvene relatively soon um right. in fact in fact almost
0: instantly for our in, for our, for our listeners after this brief musical interlude we will oh. uh, give our impressions and we will give Ford our impressions
1: Ford. of um of um of warp, warp. excellent three,
0: yes all right, okay talk to you in a bit. wonderful <laughs> okay, well, that was fun excellent. <laughs> Welcome back. It's been a week. Ben and I have had to look over VORP Fort Volume Three, and what did you think, Ben?
1: Well, it's 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 only, it takes almost longer than a week to look through. It's, <laughs> it certainly it's does. A, it's a, it's it's one hell of a read. <laughs> um, I I really only really just finished reading it yesterday. Oh, okay. Um, uh, I managed to um, also listen to the Mechanical Planet, the mm-hmm. free the free audio audio playlist, um, which also was awesome. And yeah, I mean, there's this is just. Wow, this is one of the best 9.99s that I have ever spent.
0: It is so dense packed. Oh,
1: it's gorgeous. <laughs> Gorgeously densely packed, yes.
0: Chock full of beautiful art, good writing. It's it's worth every every bit of the 10 pounds we spent on it. You know, you could spend twice as
1: much and you still wouldn't have something as good. It's It's excellent.
0: It really is like six months of DWM almost.
1: Exactly, yeah. And actually, I mean, I enjoyed it more than a regular Doctor Who magazine because, you know, it was pitched, it's almost pitched directly at me. Um, (laughs) You know, obviously there's there's parts of Doctor Who magazine that, you know, are not other things that I'm maybe not that interested Mm -hmm. in, but this is all stuff that I just want to read. It was, it was absolutely fantastic. You know,
0: over half of it Dalek focused in Dalek mania.
1: Exactly, exactly,
0: yeah. Before we get into it, what do you, what did you think of the mechanical planet? Um,
1: I enjoyed it. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was short because obviously, you know, the original strip is short. Right. It was great to hear those two actors. I'm going to forget their names, so I'm not
0: David going to Graham and them. Sasha Mitchell.
1: You know, David Graham, of course, you know, a big Thunderbird star, absolutely, and what and one of the original Dalek mm-hmm. voices, and then Sasha um, Sasha
0: Mitchell, the woman who killed all of Blake Seven, <laughs> who killed all of
1: Blake Seven. So yeah, it's <laughs> I mean, you know, it's a, it's a, it's a free audio play and then of course when you finish listening to the play then you have both of the actors are interviewed Mm -hmm. (laughs) um one by a dalek and the other by a mechanoid it's just it's just fabulous
0: yeah that was it was a lot of fun and i i did not realize how young sasa mitchell was she turned 17 on her final day of filming of blake seven man exactly and i did not i still i went back and looked at the final episode and i she just yeah She was a very, very good actress. Even even for that for that age, yeah, yeah. So I really enjoyed the Mechanical Planet, yeah. and I w- wish it was longer. And maybe they'll pick it up and ex- extend it on. I did. It did uh, encourage me to go dig out a copy of the Dalek World Annual from 1965 and see how much Alan Stevens uh, diverged from it. And he, he certainly took he took the uh, Mechanical Planet comic strip as inspiration but, and ran with it.
1: Um, no, it was great, and I, and I, I think I've just reading some stuff online. I think the original idea. Was that from um, from Gareth and Colin that this would be a, a vinyl yeah giveaway on a, on a flexi disc mm-hmm. like they would do for Doctor Who magazine right. in the old days? But I think what they discovered is obviously the quality of the recording um, really wouldn't wouldn't have done justice putting it on mm-hmm. a on a flexi disc um, and actually producing a vinyl. And there is a, there is a vinyl there are vinyl copies available. I think with this, with the um, uh, the Century 21 cover, mm-hmm. um, they just felt, you know, obviously this was so good
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, that they could put it on CD. And, of course, once they had it on a CD, then you get the interviews right. as well. And I, I, I'll have to say the joy in my mind when I heard that mechanoid voice start up. <laughs> um, it was just because I I, loved, I really, really like the mechanoids a lot. And, and to mm-hmm. have one of them interviewing a cast member was very exciting.
0: Yeah, it's good. And I saw on Warpforp's Twitter... That they'll have additional copies of the vinyl on sale starting April thirteenth.
1: Yeah, and I, I one, one of, actually one of a very, very, very minor criticism, and it's not really a criticism at all. I wish I bought more than one copy. Mm-hmm. Now I, I'm not one of those people who buys two copies of things. You know, run one to, run, to read and one to like, you know,
0: <laughs> appreciate
1: <laughs> cast in plastic. Right. Um, but you know, my copy of Warp Warp is it's so big it's It's heavy because it 's on beautiful stock paper it 's awful full color mm-hmm. it's it's it 's actually now looking a bit doggy right. because you know i 've read it from cover to cover right. i actually it's it 's actually one of the few things um that I own where I wish I had bought another version mm-hmm. that I could keep pristine. So I'm actually kind of tempted when they when, when they do start releasing some some uh, when when there's other versions released or when they when they release new copies of the the Century Century 21 cover actually going to buy a second copy for myself yeah. not to sell but to just keep right. it as a really as a you know thing of beauty as a shelf, which is a shelf copy <laughs> as a shelf copy exactly to impress all my friends <laughs> what few friends I have left Impr- impress my my one friend that I impress have. your wife which is which is you David. <laughs> oh thank you <laughs> Um, so uh, we were going to try and cover. I mean, it, it,
0: there's 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 so much right. in this in this. Well, honestly, I think it's more than they, they're calling it a double volume. But with the my one niggle on this is the print is pretty small for my <laughs> old eyes, <Your> ancient ancient <laughs> eyes. Yeah, and yeah. so I think if they printed this out at the font size of a of, of a trade magazine, it would be more than a double issue. Yeah. I think you're looking at. Three or four, yeah, yeah, three or four issues. I mean, it
1: really struck me. What it, it, it was like reading, um, and this is actually, I feel the same about nothing at the end of the lane, which mm-hmm. is another absolutely indispensable fanzine. Um, it was like reading an academic journal. It was like reading, you know, a, a journal of kind of research on a subject that you are really 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 interested
0: it, it, it in is, and I, yeah. and
1: I haven't got a kind of a buzz from that since you know I was at college mm-hmm. you know and you were reading academic journals about things that you were really really interested right. in and it's, this, it
0: was it, it's it's awesome and nothing at the end of the line really is a good analogy for this because as Bignol's publication is focused on the television program itself, this is very focused on, on the, the comic strips and DWM yep. and Target novels, right, right. and so it's a very nice pairing in the level and the depth of interviewing and research and affection and love for the material is very evident in every page. Every
1: page, yeah, I mean, there is not a single page where you can't see what just to paraphrase to actually no, not paraphrase repeat what you said um every page has had love devoted to mm-hmm. it it's it's absolutely perfect mm-hmm. the, there's 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 there is uh, i mean I think one of the things we were going to try and do on the cast is kind of pick out things that we found um uh, you know particular things that to to praise yes. about um for, for, i mean my first thing to praise is just the design is just fabulous um, and the uh, and the, the
0: editorial organization of it it really flows it's beautifully organized flows, oh my god you know, one article to one comic strip it flows just beautifully into each other and one particular night whether it's coincidental or intentional but the Peter Maddox uh 4D Jones Daily Express little segment almost flows right. directly into the 4D more segment and it's just it it kind of sets you up and then even though 40 Jones and 40 War, uh, Moore's 40 comic strip aren't linked in any sort of way. It just primes yeah, yeah. your mind for that kind of receptive, that continuity. It's beautifully
1: done. I mean, it's it's, 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 I didn't read it from cover to cover, from kind of page one to page, however many, how many pages there are. I think it's two hundred. Yep. Two hundred eight, exactly. Um, but you, you could you could read it, you know, like a book. Mm-hmm. It is. It has a, a, a such a well thought out structure, right. um, and and you know, just just on the. You, uh, and this is something i excitedly pointed out to my wife and of course she <laughs> she she feigned interest um you know the 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 interviews that they have with the different editors of doctor who magazine right. those interviews are designed in the same design as doctor who magazine when those editors were in charge of the magazine mm-hmm. it's just it's just i mean that just kind of attention to detail in terms of design is just absolutely fabulous and i mean i think you know it could be it could be that only a a fanzine, which is something that's not for profit and is done for love and is contributed to for love mm-hmm. rather than for money. Only maybe only a fanzine can be this gorgeous. If this was a kind of a for-profit <laughs> book, A it would cost you about fifty quid, and B, people wouldn't have the same level of, of contribution to it because, you know, this is obviously just a labour of love from everybody involved. Mm-hmm. And I've you know I've had kind of off offline conversations with with people involved and you know they have said you know this is this is something that you know we we just really wanted to contribute to because uh, gareth and um and um i keep forgetting their names colin the colin Mm -hmm. colin brockhurst and gareth so um gareth and colin are just people who are just you know they they know how to do it right Mm -hmm. and it's it's evident yes
0: evident in the results yeah yeah so I was just going to ask, what did what did you think of the Alan Moore interview? Did any anything you learned or any insights?
1: Um, not a huge amount new, I think, mm-hmm. from the young man Moore. There, <laughs> um, uh, um, you know, I, I, I think I, it was interesting. I mean, I was, I'm very curious about Steve Moore, and he's been a he's a character that I've wanted to know about more. I've wanted to know more about for a while, um, and I think you know the relationship between Alan Moore and Steve Moore as uh, uh, writers for Doctor Who magazine and, you know, various other um, comic strips of which I'm a fan of. Right. Um, that was interesting. You know, it's, it's, it's always good to hear Alan Moore interviewed because mm-hmm. he's always got interesting views on stuff. Um, I, again, I thought it was fascinating to hear about him talking about Doctor Who as, you know, something that he kind of wanted to do to kind of get away from his desire to do kind of a giant space opera of some kind, <laughs> you know, to actually work with some stock, um, some stock characters right. and kind of you know hone his craft in that way mm-hmm. but then I think it's all also interesting that you know as he was kind of moving through his work on, on Doctor Who magazine he was starting to assemble Green Lantern Corps right. and how you know he was trying to do a, a kind of a Green Lantern style group of people and then of course you know Steve Moore gets sacked from the comic and gets sacked from the magazine and he just goes as well which is total Alan Moore you right. know he's just one of these he's just one of these people you stand know? on principle He's, he's, a, he's a principled man, mm. a principled man. I mean, what did you think? I, are you, I mean, I, I didn't actually know that you were you know kind of uh, a fan of Alan Moore mm-hmm. or kind of was into the kind
0: of Alan Moore things. I'm more interested in, if almost, a, almost on a meta level, w- what artists do in creation and in their interaction with fans. And uh, right. Gareth is obviously a fan of Moore's work. Gareth Cavanaugh right. is obviously a fan of Moore's work. And I thought it was a really interesting little bit of conversation that they had where Gareth was talking about the narrator in the Black Legacy strip that was in DWA. Right. And how they had um, the artwork, had Tom Baker introducing the script and how Gareth was thinking that it was always the narrator was in the doctor's voice while Moore was thinking that he was just exploring godlike narration in he wasn't thinking about who this narrator was, rather than kind of an omniscient narrator, and it was a right, right. I think he was uh, at least accepting of Kavanaugh's interpretation as a young reader that this was in the doctor's voice. I thought that was a kind of a very interesting inner interaction and just right. an example of what I found interesting when when fans or appreciators of an artist work. Interact with that artist And that exchange And I think that's A really good example Of that Right Right And the other other No absolutely Other thing On on kind of a design Element of that The the Simpsonized Moore action figure that's available on the internet yes. for purchase and that they <laughs> did. I just couldn't help uh, making the connection that uh, Alan Moore, at least in a Simpsonized form, really looks like a Tharol from Warrior's Gate.
1: <laughs> oh, yeah, that's true. That's true. Alan Moore kind of is a Tharol, isn't he? Yeah, he's like a big hairy lion man. And it's yeah, also interesting
0: that uh, Celestial Toymaker was his favorite Doctor Who episode and I wouldn't think that would be a very popular choice amongst much of uh, contemporary fandom.
1: I mean, I think it's in- instructive, you know, because obviously, you know, I, th- I, think, I think very often with Who, a particular episode hits you at a particular time of life mm-hmm. and that, you know, becomes your kind of key episode. Right. Um, and I think it's, that's, that's possibly what happened with Alan Moore. And, and he's been very, you know, and he was quite candid in the interview as well. And, you know, He doesn't super, doesn't really care for any doctors other than William mm-hmm. Harnell. But I mean, I think, you know, if you look at Moore's work on, you know, League of Extraordinary Gentlemen, or actually any of his work, mm-hmm. really, which is about the fiction of fiction or the reality of fiction, um, it's, I think, in some ways, The Celestial Toymaker, which is about, you know, the the co-option of childhood. Uh, toys and childhood stories and games to in a kind of fiction world it's not actually the land of fiction, but you know it's 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 kind of a precursor mm-hmm. to that story um you know fits very well with kind of moore's interest mm-hmm. of of you know fiction being more real than reality right. itself, so it doesn't really surprise mm-hmm. me that that's his favorite it t- kind of does surprise me that he didn't really well I guess you know. Maybe the drugs had kicked in by then. Um it does it surprises me that he that he that he's not more interested in trans work. Mm. I would have thought that that some of Patrick Troughton's stories, and actually Troughton as an actor, would have, been, would have been kind of attractive to Moore.
0: Well, I did think it was perfect, though, that his uh, story idea that he was kicking around of the Hartmill Doctor going forward in time trying to kill off his regenerations because of who they had become. So that's, exactly. I think that's a very exactly. Alan Moore idea there. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Oh, what yeah, did you exactly. think of the Andrew Cartmill trying to get uh, Moore to write for Doctor Who
1: I actually think that would have been a disaster, okay. to be honest. Um, I think
0: Mill would have agreed with you there, I think, is the sense yeah, I got. Yeah, I think, exactly. I mean, I
1: think, I think it would have been very difficult to rein in someone like Alan Moore. I mean, I think it was hard enough. Uh, as far as I remember, Pat Mills, who, you know, was the editor of 2000 AD and, you know, started out Judge Dredd and all those great mm-hmm. British comic characters. Um, he was tapped in the 80s to write a couple of stories for Doctor Who, and that basically didn't work out because you can't control Pat Mills, and certainly if you can't control Pat Mills, you certainly can't control right. Alan Moore, um, and it I, that 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 just wouldn't have worked. Mm-hmm. I as far as I remember, I think a couple of Mills's storylines have been adapted by Big Finish, uh, but again, I mean, completely unrealizable mm-hmm. on screen. Well, you can I do, mean, do a lot more with it...
0: audio than you can do on on a television budget.
1: That's it. I mean, I think it was instructive to to hear about, you know, obviously the kind of touchstone for Moore's work in the 80s was was the Ballad of Halo Jones. Um, And, you know, to hear Cartmull talk about, well, you know, that was the kind of feel that he was trying to get Mm -hmm. for who at that time, you know, an ace as a particular character, you know, someone who would like Halo Mm -hmm. Jones kind of, you know, left her mundane job in space to go out and do something different in space, I think was, I think that was, um, that was very interesting.
0: So I mean, a very, very informative Mm -hmm. interview. And Cartmill's casting of Halo Jones as Charlotte Coleman, I hadn't thought about Charlotte Coleman in... (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> Almost two decades, and certainly right, not since right. her death. But um, yeah, I agree with him. That that's a yeah, good great. casting for Halo yeah, Jones.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think I think we're still waiting for the for, you know the Halo Jones miniseries. I mean, that would be <laughs> that would be a great so something, so, 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 yeah, something great to see. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to another thing that I mean, just a really kind of minor thing that I was just overjoyed. In fact, I was so overjoyed. Um, I texted my friend Greg um, because this is a, and I think we've already had yeah. Greg on this on this podcast yeah. um, because it's a, jo- a joke that we've shared together. <laughs> it was so uh, fantastic to have a tiny little box out interview with Terry Nation's friend Tarrant. Oh yeah, which is the origin, <laughs> the origin of Tarrant. All, all like, of
0: the Tarrants that Terry Nation has done.
1: <laughs> all the Tarrants are based on this one uh, Tarrant um who's just basically Tarrant Terror- nations mate um who they didn't really he didn't really get to say very much because obviously he's just probably not much um, to say about it. Graham Tarrant doesn't have a lot to say about Doctor Who but he does acknowledge that he is the Tarrant from which all other Tarrants spring um which is just such a brilliant piece of kind of micro research I don't know how they managed to work out that you know I guess you know Maybe there's a list of Terry Nation's friends somewhere on the internet, like oh that's the Tarrant we should interview him. <laughs> but you know, just that, that just that level of research details such a joy, mm-hmm. such a joy to get involved in.
0: Yeah, that was fun. What did you think the Dalek Mania focus, uh, like Tat Wood's essay? Well, that was I the
1: Usually one. enjoy Tatwood. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a little bit disappointed yeah, um, okay. with that. I'm, I'm afraid it was my one disappointment with a with with the magazine and i'll, I'll I, again will now pull out my only niggle <laughs> with the entire thing was it was a, a, a something that tat wood wrote, wrote which i know 100 percent is incorrect so at some point um in tat's essay which is you know it's it's a long it's a long piece of writing mm-hmm. um he talks about um the dalek death ray ice lolly yeah um, which, as any fool knows, added immensely to the myths of the Daleks um, by uh, being, an, A, an awesome uh, a, an awesome iced treat for children and also having a wrapper that um, had various bits of Dalek facts on it. But Tatwood says that it was an apple-flavoured lolly with a chocolate coating. <laughs> yeah. It was not apple-flavoured, it was mint-flavoured. And if I can just find it, I will read it out to you. Um, excuse me, it's on page 85 third column. (laughs) Despite the bizarre product placement of Sugar Smacks in the second Cushing Dalek film there was never a Dalek breakfast cereal and it took until 1975 for an ice lolly to brand itself around them rather than just be a space rocket lolly with some Doctor Who cards on the wrapper. That combination of apple flavoured ice and chocolate fondant would have been a tough sell without an alien themed campaign. It was revived for the Phantom Menace. He's talking about the Dalek death ray. Um, there and he's he's mistaking it for being apple flavored. I'm sorry, it's, it's, it's just not right. So fact check, not right. So fact check. There you go. Fact check. Sad. Fake news. <laughs>
0: now, could there have been possibly different lollies? No. No, nope, there parts was only one Dalek Death Ray. Okay. It was,
1: it was green. It was green mint <laughs> with a chocolate covering. Now, this is someone who's seen a picture of a Dalek Death Ray lolly and imagined that that green coloring is an apple flavor. <laughs> I am someone who actually consumed a great number of Dalek Death Ray lollies because I was collecting the wrappers. It was mint-flavoured with a chocolate <laughs> covering, and he's got that wrong, and he should have checked it. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm sorry, Tat, if you get a basic fact, <laughs> like Dalek Death Ray ice lollies were <laughs> mint-flavoured, then I find it hard to trust anything else you write. Okay. So there you go. I still have somewhere my Dalek Death Ray lolly wrappers. Um, I think they're in my mum's mm-hmm. attic somewhere. Um I'm gonna to have to dig them out, but it was it was one of the greatest lollies of the nineteen seventies.
0: You'll have to dig them out and frame them
1: I will they're probably worth like hundreds of pounds or something.
0: <laughs> um so that was my that that was what I felt was wrong about tat's essay. um how about you? a lot of my time through this uh vork magazine i really I really felt out of touch um first in that I'm not a regular reader of Doctor Who magazine, and it wasn't in the eighties and nineties definitely right, because right. of the price it is an expensive magazine for you know a kid and a student (laughs) to buy right it wasn't something that i could really afford and i didn't feel right asking my parents to spend you know a couple hundred dollars a year on a dwm subscription also just this is a very british fandom in a very british magazine so i didn't have a lot of the cultural touchstones that i think you probably had growing up with i mean like the tatwood lolly um, bit detail. I would have yeah. never picked up on it just because I had, I've never seen you a Dalek a Dalek Death Ray Lally,
1: right. And you never will, sadly, right. unless you invent a time machine. Just
0: little things like that. So, uh, reading the essay, I did think it was kind of uh snarky tongue in cheek a little bit. And there's one part, you know, very at the beginning, sort of like with when he writes, uh, let's start with the received wisdom of Beatlemania. Americans think it's all about them. So, we'll begin with the first appearance on the Ed Sullivan show. And just that kind of okay, yeah, re, yeah. Dalek Mania, or Beetlemania certainly isn't. Uh, didn't start in the United States, and Dalek Mania never really reached the United States at all. No, but reading that, no, I no, could no. you could get the idea how Terry Nation thought he could sell Daleks to the Americans. But I really, well, obviously it didn't work, and I don't believe it ever would have worked. Yeah, I think Daleks are. Culturally British, and they just wouldn't work, especially in the 1960s in the United States.
1: Yeah, and I think I think there was a lot of interesting stuff in the essay. Yeah, that I think it, I mean you know it's, he, 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 I, he undoubtedly wrote it for free because this is a fanzine. Mm-hmm. I don't know why I'm criticizing the guy because you know he's <laughs> he, you know he's write better than I can about Daleks and Beatles. But still, I'd love to have had you know a real examination of why. Why Daleks failed in the States or why, you know, Mm -hmm. why nation was mistaken. I think Um, it's
0: cultural. I I, agree. And it's how, how do you, how do you put your finger on that? You would need more of a cultural historian or anthropologist to look at it
1: anyway um yeah we we done with um, well yeah i just i just
0: really enjoyed the uh diana rig emma peel holding the toy daleks from the avengers death at a bargain price i i enjoyed that picture a good bit of artwork to add to his essay
1: i mean let's just i mean again let's just talk about the image sourcing on this Mm -hmm. my god i mean there is not a single wasted picture in the entire magazine From the from the absolutely astounding commissioned art. I'm actually just looking at the page that was produced by Adam Moore of the third Doctor Joe and the Brigadier um being threatened by a beheaded cyberman. Yeah, oh that, um, that
0: that that is stunning. I mean I would I mean I I would
1: have that as a poster on my wall, you know. Yeah, that's, that's a print just, that's, printworthy. That's, that's absolutely print-worthy. Um, there is not a wasted mm-hmm. image, you know, and then you, you turn the page and there's, like, an awesome image of, of Absalom Dack, and obviously I know that Dak isn't everyone's mm-hmm. favourite character, um, but, you know, what a great picture. Mm-hmm. There is... So so from the specially commissioned images, from uh, sketch work, um, from, you know, great Doctor Who artists like Lee Sullivan, to, uh, to you know, found photographs, you know, Diana Rick holding a Dalek, <laughs> um, there is not a wasted moment in the entire thing mm-hmm. even the fan strips you know and again i mean i've seen enough fan i've read enough fanzines to know that very often you know fan made comic strips mm-hmm. can be dodgy in the extreme both in terms of story and in artwork all of the strips um uh the both the uh i mean i think there's there's four of them in total if you, if you count the um, the completion of the uh, of the uncompleted Dalek strip, mm-hmm. uh, great, yep. really good. I mean, just uh, worth reading. Mm-hmm. And they add uh, they add a they add they add something new to the to the um, to the mythos. Mm-hmm. It's just it's just fabulous, mm-hmm. absolutely fabulous. And even
0: even just a uh, short little strips where they do Doctor Who as the League of the Extraordinary gentleman or the David Whittaker cartoon strip. That I did. love the
1: David Whitaker one. Oh my God, that just that's gorgeous. And that was
0: a really fun way of doing that meta narrative of how the Dalek stories were. Exactly,
1: exactly. And just the little David Whittaker eating a biscuit, sitting on the sitting in his, <laughs> sitting in his big armchair um, and drinking a cup of tea is just wonderful. And
0: also, a first time found out, and I, you know, I probably couldn't have found out otherwise, but David Whitaker disappeared because he went to Australia. <laughs>
1: yeah, I didn't really know that either, right. actually. yeah, I have, a sli- I have a kind of weird relationship with those Dalek strips because I actually knew them from reading the mid-70s, uh, the four Dalek annuals that were produced in the mid-70s when they repeated the Jennings uh, strips. Mm-hmm. So again, it's I've always been a little bit confused about how they all fit together chronologically, and just to have that set out for me, very, very helpful. You know, they even found... I I just turned to a random page here. You know, They found out who wrote the stories for the 1960s uh, Doctor Who annuals, Mm -hmm. this guy called um, J.L. Morrissey, you know. Mm -hmm. Um, It's just absolutely astounding, the level of just research, Mm -hmm. and useful research. I mean, I'm not, you know, um, again... It's not useful in terms of splitting the atom, but new things that we didn't know about our favorite show. Right. I mean, how long have we, have we been fans of this thing? 50 years or so? <laughs> there are still new things to be found out. Right. There are still new characters to know about. There are about. pieces um, of the
0: puzzle that still remain lost puzzle. that are slowly being filled in.
1: Yeah, I mean, the interview with Richard Jennings' daughter, you know, and finding out about that about that person's mm-hmm. life.
0: Uh, on kind of obscure interviews I really like the interview of Arnold Schwartzman the, first illustrator, the illustrator of the first Doctor Who novel And how Oh
1: yeah, who then ended up designing the Oscars Or something ridiculous, yeah
0: just how this was you know he procrastinated and he just kind of dashed something off just to finish his contract and he's rather embarrassed by him. but you know they're great those were those were really made an impression when i read the daleks you know or the doctor absolutely. who and the exciting adventure of the Daleks, absolutely absolutely mm-hmm. so um, just all the yeah. you know all the little short essays and that were really interesting and again going back to th- you know the cultural touchstone you know we we have talked about the target novels and how you really came to a lot of the early stories through the target novels first rather than through the television program unlike me and that just kind of was reinforced that British fandom and I guess fans now in their late 40s and 50s the pre-VCR age what the target novels really meant to them and I just did not have that same experience when uh, growing up dr who Tom Baker was on Monday through Friday. It was in the early ages of v c r so I think on his third repeat cycle, I had already seen him all the Tom Baker's at least twice and then started recording right. them so it's a very very different experience with dr who
1: well, I mean I think this is actually this is one of the really interesting things about doing this podcast actually. And I think it's something that, that that I think is coming out as we do these podcasts, which is why I think they're actually something that's useful to do because there is. A, I'm, I'm I'm now going to put thoughts into your head and words <laughs> into your mouth. Um, I I would have said that you know that, that your experience, re- you know, you you reading a magazine, a fancy like Vorp, Vorp, you know, probably does give you like a a really a, you know a different perspective on how this show, which is beloved in in two countries well around countries the world. across the world yeah. around the world but you know the, the way that doctor who was consumed and the way it's kind of formed within culture very very mm-hmm. different in the united states than it was in the uk and it's very very obvious obviously that Vorp, vorp is a you know is, is a is a British fanzine about how Britain uh, are kind of made you know how the how culture how Doctor Who was made as a piece of culture right. um, in Britain. I would love to see a a warp vorp, vorp that is made by American fans mm-hmm. that is about you know how you know your experiences of kind of you know consuming Hugh from Who from an early age and what and how that worked culturally. I mean, I think that 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 would be really interesting.
0: I believe Steve Hill, who is the proprietor of Gallifrey Base and kind of the I believe uh, one of the minds behind Chicago TARDIS Convention is writing yeah. a book on Doctor Who fandom in the United States. And I think the yeah. last time I looked it was in the late stages getting ready for publication. And of course it's not it's more of a, a narrative, it's more of a book rather than a magazine. So there's gonna be more right, writing than right. design and art. But it, that may have a similar take.
1: I, th- I mean, I think that that would be very, very interesting to me, and I think in a similar way that possibly Warp, warp is interesting to you, because yeah. it gives you an insight into you know the way this cultural artifact was formed, um, which is which is very, very different. Right. You know, very, very, very different, and and how you know who in the UK intersects with a whole bunch of other. Kind of, you know, interesting British pieces of culture like Alan Moore, right. you know, I think it's extraordinary, mm-hmm. you know, that, you know, Alan Moore, who's, you know, is one of the most important comic book writers and maybe one of, you know, an, an important writer of the 20th century, started his career really working for Doctor Who magazine. Right. And, you know, has continued an interest in the show because I basically Alan Moore's interested in everything. You know, there isn't anything that he doesn't want to involve in his fictions. Um, but, you know, he's continued that interest over time. And I just love the idea. And this is so strongly comes out with a fanzine like this of Doctor Who being this kind of core sample of of culture from you know, 1963, all the way up to 2017. And by examining every aspect of who over that 50 plus years, you actually form a very, very accurate picture of British popular culture. And by extension, by doing even further examination, you start to form accurate pictures of popular culture in other countries like like the, the the United States as well, mm-hmm. um, and to have those interviews where you discover, you know, that the 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 guy who did the illustrations for the first edition of of, of Doctor Who and the Daleks, you know, eventually went to went to the States mm-hmm. and you know did, does does all the design work for the Oscars. This is this is just crazy stuff, and you you, you kind of understand how lives work and how culture functions right. and how this is all interconnected, and it all becomes very Alan Moore actually in the end.
0: <laughs> so. You were a reader of DWM in the 90s, I imagine. And so you have uh, more affinity with Absalom, Dak.
1: Yeah, so I read some of the very first issues of of Doctor Who Magazine, Doctor Weekly, whatever it was called, Doctor Who Magazine. Um, And I stopped reading it when I I went away to school, mainly because I would have got the crap kicked out of me (laughs) if I was seen reading Doctor Who Magazine. It was bad enough watching the show. (laughs) So I, I basically didn't read it during the 80s, and I started reading it... Again, in the kind of late 1980s, early 1990s. Right. Uh, so, yeah, no, I, I have a reasonable level of affection for Absalom Dack. Mm-hmm. I mean, it's, he's kind of a silly, he's more of a 2000 AD character than he is a Doctor Who character.
0: So do you want to explain to listeners who have never read DWM or seen Absalom Dack how he fits within the who Um So
1: he's like a, he's a he's a Dalek
0: killer. His fiance,
1: um died at the hands of the Daleks and that has sent him crazy over several iterations of himself and with his trusty chainsword, um he has set himself up as the as the exterminator of the daleks um he's a, he's a professional dalek killer um i think he's the only dalek killer left um and his job is just to hack chop slash um uh, and i'm deliberately referencing an earlier kind of similar incarnation um uh, axel press button who was a kind of a cyborg, uh, psychotic creature? Um, one of again, one of Alan Moore's very first comic book creations with with Steve Moore. So I mean, he's a he's a pretty kind of standard uh, character for kind of British comic books. Kind of you know, ultra violent, mm-hmm. completely unreasonable, uh, destroyer of things. I mean, I mean, he's he's a lot of fun, but he's more of a British comic book character than a Doctor Who character and I think that's why some mm-hmm. fans don't care for him hugely.
0: And he was contemporary with the McCoy Doctor, right? Yeah. Yeah.
1: Um slightly yes, yes, roughly contemporary with McCoy. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah, 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 And and, and a, a lot of fun. Um, I I said I was, I, you know mm-hmm. I'm a I'm a big a big 2000 AD mm-hmm. fan, so you know, I just kind of mm-hmm. I like that kind of, you know, that kind of ridiculousness of just an over-the-top violent character um, placed in the
0: Hooniverse. And what did you think of the features on death? Very good. Um, It's it's, it's always
1: good to know a little bit more about the background of the character, how the character came about. Um, I love the work of Lee Sullivan. Um, It was good to see a big interview with him. I so, Mm -hmm. so much enjoy seeing sketches. Uh, you know, where the... Now, did... Uh, you know, where the, where the kind of designs and things come from. So, yeah, it was great.
0: Well, did Dax uh, run on DWM and when Moore was let go?
1: Um, no, 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 um, no, uh no, no, because
0: okay. Steve, Steve Moore created yeah, Steve, him, right? Yes, yeah.
1: Steve Moore created him, but no, I mean, it, it, it was, he carried on. He was written by um, John Tomlinson, wrote some, and Starkings, I think, wrote some Dax stuff. So, yeah, no, he, I mean, he... Okay. He carried on. I mean, I think again, he's he's kind of a contentious character. Um, he is canon, mm-hmm. though, of course, because I think in whatever that one was in the con- contemporary series where they robbed a bank or whatever, whatever they were doing, um, when the mugshots came oh, up time on heist. the screen, yeah, time high yeah. one of the one of the one of the shots is is Absalom Dax. So he is actually. Um, <laughs> it all happened, actually, kids. Yeah. It
0: all happened. It all happened.
1: <laughs> Let me also. I'll just pull out. It was so great to also to read. A lot more about Ron Turner, yeah, okay. um, who is an absolute, just marvelous comic book um, artist and illustrator from the, you know, the classic era of not just Doctor Who comics but kind of British comics in general. Um, and it was great to see his last, sadly unfinished tale for Doctor Who magazine completed. And it was just just great to just learn more about the man, you know, who was just uh, again so kind of inspirational. Uh, i'm so looking forward to i think they trail in the early part of the fanzine that they're going to have a, a, a kind of in-depth look at jerry haylock um in a subsequent issue issue mm-hmm. of um and jerry haylock again is a is a is, i think is the absolute key comic book artist for the perwee era um and i would love to know more about him so again you know i mean the 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 magazine is finished right. it's 200 plus pages They've still got more stuff to give mm-hmm. us. It's it's not over yet. There is more warp warp mm-hmm. to come. There, are, they've still got cool things to tell us. I'm just you know I'm just incredibly excited for what's co- for you know for what's next right. as well. It's just great.
0: Well, it'd be great. I, the one thing I learned, you know, again not being a reader, that Colin Baker, only doctor to write fiction for the series. Oh yeah, the, and it's with a the and strip. It's, it's, yeah.
1: and it's good. I mean, you should get yourself a copy of mm-hmm. that. It's 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 a it's it's a good strip. Mm-hmm. Um, and you know, obviously, Colin is a writer, and you know, writes uh, regularly for for newspapers. Um, and you know, and is, is you know, has a you know, he's a kind of curmudgeon <laughs> nowadays. But I mean, Age of Chaos is is very, very good. Mm-hmm. It's it's well worth a read. Well worth a read. And it's just
0: um, it just shows what Gary Russell had brought to the, the magazine at the time because he he also had Nick Briggs <laughs> cameoing as the Doctor in the strip too, which. <laughs> Which yeah. is also yeah. interesting.
1: Yeah, absolutely. And I and again, I mean, I that the run with with the Eighth Doctor, um, with the scripts written by Scott Gray and the comic artist basically being Martin Martin Garrity, I mean that is one of the strongest runs um on the Doctor Who strip, I think, in its entire history. And I'd also argue it's actually one of the strongest pieces of, of comic writing um at all in certainly in british mm-hmm. comics it's absolutely extraordinary um scott gray and martin geraghty absolute genius and if listeners or even yourself david um if you've not picked up the panini collected volumes of those scott gray martin geraghty um eighth doctor stories they are an absolute piece of genius comic book writing um and wonderful stories very affecting very beautifully connected to the history of who, but completely contemporary as well, and just using the Eighth Doctor in just a a way that that was completely respectful to um, McGann's depiction on screen, but just taking it kind of wonderful new directions. Mm-hmm. And this was what was always so exciting about the comic strip in Doctor Who magazine. Is why one was one of my main regrets that I wasn't reading it regularly in the eighties, um, because I think what comes across very clearly. Both in vorp, vorp and also kind of you know reading and talking to people. Um, not really talking to people. I did not talk to anyone. But you about Doctor Who? <laughs> um, but you know, is that actually it was the adventures of the Sixth Doctor in the comic strip that were the kind of the key adventures of the 80s. Right. And the character of that Doctor in the comic strip in Doctor Who magazine, that is the character of the sixth mm-hmm. Doctor that everyone loves and remembers. I mean, obviously, you know, Colin Baker did a marvelous job in, with very little to work with mm-hmm. in getting that car- character to work on screen. Um, but it really was... Um, uh, uh, th- those, th- th- those comic
0: strips were absolutely extraordinary. And it introduced Frobisher to the canon, or the mythology. And I
1: think you know, again, you know, it's it's a it's a it's it's something you can't do on screen um, and something that worked really well on on the, the comic right. strip.
0: And for listeners, Frobisher is a shapeshifting shifting character, right? Um, who uh yep. kind of settles in the form of a penguin. Uh, Emperor in penguin, the form of type a penguin yeah. yes. Yep, yep. I
1: mean technically he's a, he's, a, he's, a, he's he's his alien race is Wifidil. and he's a yeah, he's a talking penguin. <laughs> um, but he can he can morph into pretty much anything. Right. Um, he has appeared, unfortunately, I think in only one Big Finish audio, audio audio play. Um, but yeah, he's a great character. Mm-hmm. I've always liked Frobisher. Now, so.
0: I don't know if this is an in-joke or what, but they have a picture of Frobisher saying, John Pretel hates me, or Preetle hates me. Do you know anything going on with that? I don't, know. Okay, I mean, I can, so, I, can
1: only, I can only... They have Preddle writing about, you know, how he doesn't like shapeshifters in general. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I don't think anyone can really hate Frobisher. <laughs> He's just a really good character. Um, and a great companion for the Doctor. Mm-hmm. Great, great companion for the Doctor.
0: And I enjoyed having a little Croton cameo, a couple panes from a Eighth Doctor strip of uh, Adrian Salmon illustration there. Oh, yes. Page 169. That was nice oh, to see. Oh, my
1: goodness, yeah, and, yeah. Again, I mean, I, an Adrian Salmon absolutely superb artist mm-hmm. and his work with Alan Barnes on the, the Cyberman the kind of Cyberno- Cyberman mythos um, one page strip um, again in the 90s some of the greatest comic book uh, art and comic book storytelling um, that, that has ever been created mm-hmm. in British comics I'll have to say I'm so jealous of Alan Barnes he both, he both got to edit both 2000 AD and Doctor Who magazine. <laughs> I mean, talk about like putting yourself Dream in the jobs. center of like, <laughs> yeah, British fandom of things that are great. Um, Alan was right there, basically. But no, I think he was the writer with Aid Salmon on that yeah. one. And Aid Salmon is just an, an amazing artist.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, I also also like the, the pull out section or the little um, pull out box with Sophie Aldred talking about her one issue stint as an editor of DWM. That was fun, too.
1: And, yeah. It was funniest i mean I still have i mean i still have i mean i have i think I pretty much got every every issue of Doctor Who magazine mm-hmm. stashed away somewhere um, i mean I started really collecting them in the early nineties and then i kind of back collected through to the eighties um, to the first issue um, but yeah no i I remember the Sophie Aldred issue quite well yeah, yeah.
0: and kind of wrapping up um, clayton hickman 's was the last editor uh, in the layout of the magazine. Yeah. And I thought it was a very interesting article. I follow Clayton Hickman on Twitter, and he's very, right. very prolific tweeter, mostly of classic pictures, and um, that's kind of interesting. But I thought his... Uh, you know, uh his initial anecdote of Anthony Ainley playing mind games with him and then RTD later <laughs> imitating him in the, uh, the master's voice with Clayton Hickman come to the front and stuff like that <laughs> i thought that you could you could really you could you could picture you could picture all three people and <laughs> the exactly. the type of thing and i thought it was also interesting to learn uh, how he at first turned down or went with a different person for an editor rather than tom Spilsbury, and how uh, Spilsbury accepted the job even though he was the second choice
1: yeah yeah it was also interesting that everyone every one of those editors that they interview says you know they they have no bad things to say about being editor of doctor who magazine you know it was the greatest it was the greatest funnest Mm -hmm. job i think it was really really interesting to talk about the difference between editing the magazine when the show didn't exist right um you know to to the you know i think what is a very very challenging job um which is producing the i mag- actually i think it's more challenging um, to producing the magazine nowadays where you have to represent a far greater breadth of fandom mm-hmm. um, and you are really curtailed by, you know, the show isn't on very much right. and it's really only on for two or three, you know, three or four issues of the magazine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I, I thought that was very, very interesting to hear about. And we just of about Alan Barnes talking about, well, you know, When he was editing the magazine, you know, he was editing it for for basically people who like Doctor Who, which is a very, very small section of people. (laughs) Um, And they could, you know, basically do what you like because... Um, it, it was kind of a complete freedom to kind of play in that sandbox of who. Right. Which, you know, of course, nowadays I think is it's, it's obviously, I think the program, obviously RTD was a, is a huge supporter of the magazine and still is mm-hmm. a supporter of the magazine. I think Moffat, you know, is a slightly more circumspect and careful character.
0: I think it's more a part of the job for Moffat. Yeah,
1: yeah, and uh, Moffat's obviously a very different kind of person hmm. than RTD, and you know why should he be the same? Right. I'll be it'll be very interesting to see how you know how uh, how uh, how Chib how the Chib um, interacts uh, relates with, to the magazine. Right. Yeah,
0: yeah, I, yeah. Going back to I, I liked uh, I liked the story that Hickman related when he told RTD that he was leaving the magazine and just I thought the words that Hickman said that RTD conveyed were very 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 supportive and I'll just quote it like um, I can't do an RTD voice but it's like oh that's the best thing you could have done I love it when people change their lives I love it when they make decisions they leave things they love and they go on to do different things that's bloody brilliant I'm so proud of you and that's it's just really nice to have that kind of support from Obviously, Clayton Hickman admires RTD, but you know, many people admire RTD, and just to have that that affirmation of a decision that was a hard decision, I think, to make. A hard decision to make, yeah. That yeah. Was very positive, and it just shows the type of character that, that sh- uh, speaks to the character of RTD as a person and i thought it was a really nice anecdote to relay yeah and
1: i think actually what it does it connects into i mean obviously for for whatever reason i mean they didn't have an in-depth interview with gary gillett um, maybe you know gary didn't wasn't wasn't available or maybe they're saving you know gary for as a, a future issue but i mean again one of the one of the touchstones um of of gary's era is the that series about the fan gene about you know being a doctor who fan um, and I, again, remember reading that. And, you know, one of the strong things that come out, comes out of those, those series of articles, you know, clever people like clever things. Um, and, you know, uh, do we like Doctor Who because it's good or are we good because we like Doctor Who? And it's, it, it's really, uh, you know, I, th- I think there's a sense of this here. And this really comes strongly out of Warp Warp. It comes strongly out of the interviews in Warp Warp. It comes out of, the, out of this fanzine as a whole that, you know, Doctor Who fans are basically awesome, good people, <laughs> and not only do we like a great show, but we are great ourselves mm-hmm. um and our goodness means we like a good show, and the show is good because we like it and it's you know that's not to be superior about other fandoms or superior about other people, but you just get a general sense from a fanzine like this that this is a these we this is a good bunch of people. Mm-hmm. Um, we're not bad people, um, uh, you know. Not, it, it,
0: not trying to be gatekeepers or control anyone's experience. Trying to dare more to celebrate everyone's experience.
1: Exactly, you know, and we're not, you know, we're not on the terraces every Saturday picking a fight with the other team, you know. I mean, we're, we're, <laughs> these are, we're, this is, this is a, it's a, I have to say, you know, I mean, in a, Ten thousand years from now, when you know a time traveler looks back on artifacts of early early twenty first century culture, he will find that the best people of our culture were Doctor Who fans, um, <laughs> and 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 that is exemplified by this fanzine, and which is why you should all go out and buy a copy, and why I will be buying myself a second copy.
0: <laughs> okay, well that's a great place yeah. to leave it for tonight.
1: <laughs> yeah and and again i mean our thanks to to uh to colin brockhurst and to gareth kavanagh um for making this thing for us go out and buy yourselves 10 coffees um go out and <laughs> buy the rest of colin's stuff he does amazing design work um uh yeah they're great people and this is a great fanzine and we're very very lucky to have it and we're we're lucky to have this show that we love them we're lucky to be the, the kind of people that we are
0: <laughs> excellent <laughs> All right, so well, so next week, I think we'll pick back up with our, look at our lady companions as we count down the days till the series 10 with so series the final ten, season literally... of Peter Capaldi.
1: Excellent. And um, so, yes, yeah, so thank you very much. I'll do the okay. sign off. Um, if, you, if you have been, thanks for listening. Um, I have been Ben.
0: And I have been David.
1: We'll see you next time.
0: Excellent. <laughs> Farewell. <laughs> No, 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 Thank you for listening to the Metabilis 2 podcast. You can reach us with email at metabilis2, that's a number 2, at gmail.com, or on Twitter at metabilis2, and again, that's a number 2. Hope to hear from you. Bye.